hot flashes, vaginal dryness, painful sex, low libido, recurrent urinary tract infections, weight gain, insomnia, orgasm? What orgasm? Menopause is a very special time, and I'm betting you've not gotten a lot of information from your own doctor. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, a clinical professor of obstetrics and gynecology, the medical director of the Northwestern Medicine Center for Sexual Medicine and Menopause, a practicing gynecologist, best-selling author, and a nationally recognized menopause expert. My mantra has always been, if women are given good information, they'll make good choices. And I'm here to give you the inside information on all things menopause. Currently, 42% of the population is obese and 9% is severely obese. Obesity is a medical illness that is linked to heart disease, stroke, joint pain, and even many cancers. There are biologic reasons that make it difficult or impossible for some people to lose weight. But too often, obesity is not recognized by insurance companies or doctors as a medical illness. Furthermore, most doctors have little or no training in obesity management and basically tell their patients to eat less or just try harder. And less than 1% of Americans with obesity are offered a prescription for one of the many safe and effective FDA-approved drugs, which will facilitate the ability to get to and maintain a healthy weight. Today, I'm joined by one of the country's foremost obesity specialists, Dr. Robert Kushner. Dr. Kushner is the author or editor of 12 books, including Six Factors to Fit, Weight Loss That Works for You. He's authored 58 book chapters and nearly 200 scientific articles on overweight, obesity, and nutrition. He's the medical director of the Center for Lifestyle Medicine and Northwestern Medicine, a professor of medicine and medical education at the Feinberg School of Medicine, and a founder of the American Board of Obesity Medicine that certifies other physicians in the care of patients with obesity. In other words, Dr. Kushner is the real deal. He's also an avid ballroom dancer. Today, Dr. Kushner and I will be discussing drugs for chronic weight management, what's out there, what are the pros and cons, and who should be taking them. Welcome, Dr. Kushner. Thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure to be with you. So before we get started on some of these individual drugs, I just I have some general questions for you. Um, I think the number one question is, at what point should someone consider taking a medication? Well, uh, several ways to answer that. One is just a package insert, like, like who, who, who would a prescriber think about giving a medication to? And the FDA defines that as someone who has obesity, which is a BMI of over 30. You check your own BMI out if you go to just Google or a BMI of over 27, which is someone who's overweight with a medical problem like high blood pressure, diabetes. That's one way of saying it's kind of medicinal and quantitative, but really I think a more realistic way of thinking about it is someone who is overweight, someone who is struggling with their weight, someone who has difficulty taking their weight off and managing their weight with lifestyle alone and is concerned about their overall health. In other words, not just uh, to be thin, but really considering how, how weight loss affects their overall health. That's the kind of patient that I see every day in my practice and I think about medication. Yeah, because, you know, that comes up a lot in my practice as well. I see the woman who's maybe 10, 15 pounds over where she would like to be. And and I believe her when she tells me that she is eating healthy and exercising and doing all the right things. And we've managed her sleep and her hot flashes and all the other things that, that we think about, particularly in the menopause population that can sabotage being at a healthy weight. And then she says to me, okay, how about, you know, can I just take a pill? So your answer is, Yes, only if she's having medical problems or if she's concerned about where she is as far as weight goes. Um, you know, everyone has their own story to tell about how weight affects them. 
For many of them, it's their self-esteem, their body image, intimacy, uh, their productivity, how they feel in the workplace. So they don't have to have a medical problem. But we think about using medication in, with the disease of obesity in which there is a in which the excess body fat is causing some impairment in health. Now, it doesn't have to be something obvious like diabetes. As I said it could be their mental health, how they feel about themselves um, and, and, and how they react to others. Yeah. So it, it's really it's a, it's a personal thing. Uh, I don't they don't have to, def, you know, it has to be as defined as as a medical problem. Right. So it's OK if you know, we, we certainly the clearly is the person who is at risk or has diabetes, heart disease and all that is going to benefit medically from losing weight and is an appropriate candidate for drugs. But if I'm hearing you correctly, the woman who is not necessarily diagnosed with one of those conditions, but for a variety of other reasons, just feels like she needs to take off some weight. Um, it's it's reasonable as long as she's not trying to get, you know, like ridiculously thin kind of thing. Well, that's exactly right. And, and also add, Lauren, that we know that weight gain almost at any age, even as you age, is probably going to impair your health or quality of life one, one way or another, depending on the person. Yeah. So someone who goes into uh, postmenopausal years and weighs more than healthy weight is probably at risk of developing more problems in the future. So those are all the, all the things we look at. Right. And that's something that we discuss a lot too, because someone will say, well, I might be 20 pounds overweight, but I'm healthy. And my response always is, well, you're healthy now, but you're putting yourself at risk. And people don't think about cancer much. You know, I think most people who are overweight are aware that they might have diabetes um, or develop cardiovascular disease. But a lot of them are surprised when I point out that they are really increasing their risk for developing certain cancers down the road. So from a practical point of view, before again, we get to these drugs, if someone is, say, only 10 or 15 pounds overweight and chooses to take a drug and doesn't have a medical problem, is their insurance going to cover it? Well, insurance looks at those those BMI numbers I mentioned at the, at the yeah. top of the podcast is BMI of over 30 or over 27 with a comorbidity. That's what the insurance company is going to be looking at. But even with that, the coverage for medications is is insufficient. It, it's yeah. not widespread. I see patients all the time in a practice who are perfect, wonderful candidates for medication, only to find out there it's an excluded benefit from their insurance. So that's, that's a major barrier, actually, to the, the uptake and use of medications is lack of coverage. That would make me crazy. I'm sure it makes you crazy, too, not to mention the patient's crazy. The other question I have is, in so much of my reading and hearing people lecture, I, I hear a lot that there's this genetic predisposition or a biologic predisposition for obesity so that people who eat healthy um, and do all the right things still are overweight. And I buy that, except can you explain why our obesity numbers are so much higher than they were 100 years ago when we had the same genetic makeup? Sure. So we do think of obesity now as a disease. And, and if, if the whole word disease doesn't resonate with you, then you could think of it as a chronic medical problem. However, that is the point is it's not just one's fault. It's not just uh, it being irresponsible or reckless with, with how you eat or how you're physically active. So, Lauren, we think about obesity as, as in many people, genetically driven uh, from your parents and your heritage and so forth. But it's the environment that really brings it out. So the genetic uh, makeup of our country was probably very, it was very similar, let's say in the 1930s, 40s, 50s, or 60s. The difference is what we call our obesogenic environment. 
And as those individuals who are susceptible to gaining weight are more susceptible now because of our environment, we don't have to be physically active. There's ultra processed foods. We use Grubhub, you know, to have food delivered. Sleep is becoming more difficult. Uh, the COVID pandemic has, has made people more stressful, more isolated. It's all of these factors conspire with one's genetics to develop obesity. So that's how we put those two together. Well, that makes sense. If you have a genetic predisposition and then you're barraged with things that make it almost impossible to maintain a healthy weight, some people are going to struggle more than others. So plenity, let's start with that. You know, we see these commercials and, and plenity evidently is not a drug. It's actually under the umbrella of being called a medical device. So explain what plenity is and, and what your thoughts are on it. Sure. So plenity is, as you said, Lauren, is a device. It has no has no um, pharmacologic properties at all. It's made of a cellulose hydrogel. Sounds fancy, but what it means is when you add water to it, like you have a glass of water with it, it comes as a capsule. It expands uh, in your stomach. So it's like a sponge in your stomach. (laughs) It's like a sponge in your stomach. So when you take with water, this hydrogel holds on the water and expands like a sponge. Uh, And it stays in your stomach and it allows you to feel more full, like food is staying in your stomach. And over time, the water leaves the hydrogel, goes back to the size of the capsule, if you will, and then passes through your intestine and then you poop it out. So when taken with two meals a day, it causes an fullness beyond what you would feel from eating and then is, is meant to reduce how much you eat because you feel full. It causes, I would say, modest weight loss, but it's useful for someone who doesn't like the idea of taking a medication. Has other medical problems. You're worried about drug, drug, or drug medical problems or drug, drug problems. Um, and, uh, and, and, it, and you pay out of your pocket mostly. Um, and you can get it right through the website. You can actually bypass a provider and they order it through the, through the website. Why isn't that one covered by insurance? I'm curious. It seems like even though it's not, you know, one of the better drugs, if you will, if there is some weight loss with it, that can be meaningful, right? Well, you know, it may be. Now that I'm thinking about it, it may be covered by some insurances. No, it's not. I, I don't know. <laughs> I look, not, I okay. Asking and you're ahead of me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, uh, you know, uh, medications are covered in general, probably 40, depending on where you're geographically located, maybe 40% of insurance companies cover medications. I don't know their decision making regarding plenity. And um, any particular side effects that folks should be aware of? Uh, Gastrointestinal bloating, fullness, uh, you know, things that are uh, that in the gastrointestinal, uh, gastrointestinal tract directly. Yeah. You would know if you if you take like a month's supply, that's it. It's taken, I think, three capsules with two meals every day, two of the larger meals that you have in the course of the day. You would probably know by the end of one month whether it's helpful or not for you. Yeah. Do you ever recommend it? You sound like you're not a fan. Well, I have used it. I think it's modestly effective and there's more effective medications. But I will say, if we'll talk about Lauren, there's a, a variety of responses to medication, right? You talk, you talk about average weight loss, but it really comes down to everyone's an individual. Yeah. And one thing that's very interesting in that study that came out that allowed it to be approved by the FDA is that those individuals who responded early, like quick out of the starting gate, when you took it, they started losing weight quicker. They actually did very, very well. They're losing, I don't know, nine or 10% of their body weight, but it's only that those group of individuals who responded quickly, they actually had a very good outcome. The others is more modest. 
So it sounds like maybe it was the people that had portion control issues that maybe did the best. Yeah, it could be. It could be or took it as prescribed, you know, because yeah, to yeah, take yeah. three capsules with two meals a day with a large glass of water, it's not sponge. an easy, it's not <laughs> an easy thing to do. And you end up with this sponge, right? Yeah, huge sponge. All right. So tell me what your approach is to the person who does come in. And where do, where do you start as far as recommending a drug? Because I've got a list of drugs here, but I'd rather just hear from you kind of how you present it to a patient. Well, first of all, the patient needs to be listened to and acknowledged regarding their story, right? It's not, go, you know, it's not they come in and go, here's a medication. Right. We spend a lot of time talking to them about their journey. What are the factors uh, that led to their weight gain, the challenges and the barriers they have and how I can help them? The foundation is lifestyle. And you mentioned in your introduction, the, the book, uh, Six Factors to Fit Lifestyle. Please talk about your book now. Yeah. Tell us about your well, book. Well, I'll just mention it. You know, Six Factors to Fit Weight Loss That Works for You is a way of, of, of looking at people's individual factors that cause them to gain weight, whether it's reduced physical activity, whether it's enticement of food, eating out uh, more often, the way they think, like black and white thinking. So we use those kinds of concepts to lay down a foundation of healthy lifestyle living. And you mentioned some of our diet, activity, sleep, stress, substance use. You pay attention to all that. Using smaller plates, going for a walk instead of a meal, you know, just behavioral things. Correct. Be- behavioral recommendations. And it's funny, people often go, yeah, I know that already. I go, yeah, but you're not doing it. You know, we need to come up with strategies and prompts that that encourage you to do it more often. So lifestyle is foundational, but Lauren, the lifestyle management is not effective enough for everybody. And it's for those individuals that where lifestyle is not effective enough or they have other medical problems where we need to be more aggressive. We then introduce this concept, okay, let's layer in a more aggressive treatment on top of lifestyle. And that's where drug therapy comes in. And, and the decision of using drug therapy is based like any drugs anyone would take. It's about what is their overall health? Are there contraindications to the drugs? What would be benefited by the drugs? Are there any drug-drug inter- interactions? What are the side effects? Uh, patient preference, injection or oral medications, and then cost. And that's the kind of decision-making I do all the time when I talk to a patient about medication. Mm-hmm. So let's just kind of walk through what some options are that 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 women may be offered. Um, and we can even, if, if it's okay with you, I wouldn't mind starting with a couple that have been in the news lately because I, those are the ones I get asked about because they're in the news, which would be uh, semaglutide. And then um, also the one that's been in the news very recently, um, am I pronouncing this correctly, uh, terzapeptide? Mm-hmm. Yeah, terzapeptide. Terzapeptide, yeah, exactly. right. So why don't you kind of give us a lowdown on those two? So, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you're starting with these two new medications. There's many others that have been around the market now for seven, eight years and so forth, which we can get to. But the two you're mentioning are very interesting because we, we think of them as second-generation medications. And the reason we think of them as second-generation or emerging medications is, one, it's changing the direction of treatment for obesity to more of hormonal treatment. So as a comparator, let's take diabetes comparator. People know about insulin, right? For people with severe diabetes, we use insulin. Insulin's a hormone, and that's been a problem with diabetes. With obesity, with our, with our greater understanding of it as a condition or disease, we are now understanding the hormones that govern appetite, hunger, fullness, contentment with meals, thoughts of food, cravings for food. And by identifying some of those hormones that come from the gut, we can now uh, give them back to a person 
at higher doses, so it's hormonal treatment and affect their appetite. Mm-hmm. So semaglutide um, is, the, is the drug that came out last year, which was called a game changer because it had significantly more weight loss. It actually mimics a hormone we all have in our body called GLP-1. It's, it's produced from our gut. That same hormone has been out or that same medication has been out for years for treatment of diabetes. Some people have heard the, uh, heard the, the trade name Ozembic. Mm-hmm. It's been out for diabetes for years. If you use that same hormone at a higher dose, it's more effective for appetite control and weight loss. So it's basically Ozempic on steroids. It's a much higher, higher dose than that. And is that an oral or is that an injectable drug? It's injectable. Well, for the one for diabetes. A self-injectable. It's a self-injection. One for diabetes actually comes as an oral or or a weekly injectable form, Uh, which Rebelsis is the oral form, if you want to use a Mm -hmm. trade name. The one for diabetes is a once a week self-injection. It's called Wagovi. And, and it's a game changer because it's a hormonal treatment. It's, it's weekly. And lastly, it caused a weight loss that was one and a half to two times greater than other drugs on the market, about 15% average weight loss. Terzepatide, the, the last one he just mentioned, actually outperforms the game changer. It outperforms the semaglutide. It was just, appro- it was just approved for diabetes, not weight loss, but for diabetes. Yeah. This drug combines two naturally occurring hormones from our body to affect the appetite and improves diabetes. The average weight loss of that drug is now 20%, 5% more than semaglutide. So for the first time in my career, which spans nearly 40 years, we have medications that are really delivering the kind of weight loss, not only that patients are expecting when they take a medication, but a weight loss that's significant enough that we are seeing major clinical changes in diabetes, blood pressure, lipids, uh, quality of life, and so forth. You know, I had a patient who um, has been seeing me for years and complaining about her struggles with weight for years. And it was never a lot. It was 15 or 20 pounds, but that was meaningful and meaningful to her. And she was very, very frustrated. And we talked about, you know, all the strategies, of course. And she came in this year and she had lost 20 pounds. And I said, oh, my gosh. Tell me, how, what was your journey? How did that happen? What happened? She said, I was so lucky I got diagnosed with borderline diabetes and my insurance would then cover, you know, the new drug. And she said, I went on it and it was a miracle. She said, I did all the things I've always done. She's a healthy eater and active. And she said, and suddenly the weight came off. And I'm sure that's a story that you hear a lot. Yeah. And, and what it speaks to, I think, Lauren, is these are folks that have probably been uh, trying to get their weight under control for years, if not decades. And it's frustrating for them, or they lose the weight and it comes back, and and then they become embarrassed, and it's their fault. And I think it really speaks to the point I was making earlier, that obesity is not just just the fault of the individual, but it's an underlying, we call biologic or physiologic problem. And you know how you treat physiologic, biologic problems? With often medication, that treats what's going on on the inside so that you can then make better decisions on the outside, which is how you eat and how you move your body around. You know, one of the things I was thinking about when you were talking about hormones and the impact, and in in our world, we have two drugs that are FDA approved to help with libido, phlebanserin and bremelanotide. And particularly bremelanotide works in the melanocortin system in the brain, which also controls appetite. And as I always tell people, well, 
think about this because the time when your appetite is the lowest is when your libido's sky high. You meet the new person and all you're thinking about is sex and you're, you're not losing weight because you're having so much sex. You actually don't burn that many calories having sex. You're losing weight because this is turning off your appetite control center. So I don't know if you ever use that little tidbit and when you talk to your patients about how they should just think about sex more and that will trigger their melanocortin system, which will decrease their appetite. I don't Tell me, has that ever gone? I, I, I haven't, but I may add that to my repertoire of, of what I talk about. But no, it is interesting because one of the major side effects of um, bremelanotide, I don't know if you're familiar with it, why would you be? Because you're not treating libido. But one of the um, side effects is nausea and vomiting because it has such a profound effect on the appetite control center that people want to have a ton of sex, but then they throw up on their part which is a little bit counterproductive. So um, I can't say I have a lot of takers, but, <laughs> but theoretically it's... Uh... Well, you know, all, all these systems are connected as well as my takeaway from what you said. Um, and, and these drugs do have side effects. So it's, it is very important when you're seeing your healthcare provider and you're thinking about using a medication for weight management, they have a thorough discussion of indications, side effects, um, uh, how do you use it best? And it's really, and it's used best when it's combined with a healthy lifestyle. Orlistat, um, that's the one that makes you like have really fatty poops. If I remember correctly, is, is, it, is that still used? Is that still out there? Orlistat was approved in 1990s. Uh, oh, the yeah. trade name is Zenical. You can get it as an over-the-counter uh, medication called Ally. In fact, it is the only over-the-counter medication for weight management that's approved by the FDA. It's called Ally, and you, you don't have to see your uh, healthcare provider to get it. You are absolutely right. It, it, it works by blocking about 30% of the fat from your meal from being absorbed in your body. So you, you, you pass it through your stool or you poop it out, and it causes it can cause an oily stool. So if you do take Orlistat, you have to make sure that you watch the amount of fat in your diet because if you overload too, with too much fat, uh, you're going to pass that through your your stool, and it's going to be and difficult. We do to not control. need a description of what that's going to look like. I don't think. Does is it popular? Do people people use it much? It's, I never hear about it. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's uncommonly used now. When, when I see folks in my clinic, Lauren, and they're struggling with their weight. What, what most of them are looking for, for, sure, they're looking for tactics and strategies and support systems and accountability. But from a medical point of view, they're looking for control of their appetite. Really the most common refrain I hear from patients is either I'm addicted to food or I never feel full or I'm hungry all the time or it's hard for me to stop eating when I start. So that's all appetite driven. Uh, and, that, and that's really what they're looking for help with. Now, I still remember, what was it, Fen, Fen? Remember, you know, how, how long ago was that? That was probably easily 20 years ago, too. And I don't, that's not on the market, but isn't there kind of a version of that, Fenteramine topomerate or something like so, that? Yeah. So, Fen, Fen is, was a combination of two medications, Fentermine, which is still on the market, and Fenfluramine. That's the one that was taken off the market. So, it was dubbed fun, Fen, Fen by the public. It was taken off the market in the early 90s, fenfluramine was, because of cardiac valvular problems. Fentermine, however, is the number one prescribed medication across the country because it's the only one's generic. 
It's the only one that's affordable for most people. And we talked about a little bit later how there's that insurance companies may not cover these medications. And so if that's the case, you know, you're looking for something that's affordable and that's probably the most affordable medication. It's an amphetamine derivative. That's what fentermine is. And who should take that cost aside? Who's there anyone, you, any situation in which you would recommend that? Well, fentermine is one of, you know, five or six medications that are approved for chronic weight management. So when I have a discussion with someone about, are you a good candidate for medication? Fentermine is one of the medications that we are talking about using. Um, and again, we may, we may end up um, landing on that one if cost becomes one of the major issues regarding selection of the drugs. Is addiction a problem with this since it's an amphetamine? It's not. It's it's an amphetamine. In it's it's called a, der, a derivative of an amphetamine. You're not going to. It doesn't have very much street value. That's how you know addiction is often right. determined by street value. You're you go on a street and sell fentermine. You're not going to get a lot of buyers unless someone wants to lose weight. Uh, but you don't really get high on it like you would think of as amphetamine. And uh, side effects. Side effects of amphetamine. They can be. Jitteriness, uh, like you would expect, like taking too much coffee. Um, but the most common side effects are dry mouth, um, constipation, a little harder to move your bowels, uh, sleep disturbance, and headache. Those are the most common. And you should not be taking it if you have uncontrolled high blood pressure, arrhythmias, anxiety problem, uh, recent cardiac disease, or, or, or untreated hyperthyroidism. So that's again, that's why you need to have a thorough evaluation by your doctor. Well, which brings me to my next question. Who should be, you know, we talked about who should get these drugs. Who should be prescribing these drugs? That's, you know, that's an excellent question. Probably, currently, there's a small group of healthcare providers who prescribe these medications. It's those that have familiarity with it, the ones who really get what obesity is all about and probably have a passion to treat the disorder or those individuals. Having said that, 42% of the American uh, adult public suffers from obesity. If you add overweight to it, it's three out of four. There aren't enough healthcare providers to go around to treat all those that need to be treated if we keep it as a limited specialty area. I'm a big proponent, Lauren, of, of, of training primary care providers on how to treat obesity and how to use these medications. There's too many people that can benefit from medication rather than getting in line for a a year to see a specialist who's going to write a medication. I know because I refer to you all the time and it's what about a year and a half to get in to see you. So it's not that long, but it's too long. It's a long time. It's a long time. Worth it. I tell my patients it's worth the wait. But no, but but to your point, I mean, I want to be able to help these women that come to see me. And I know that not they're not only unhappy about being overweight, but it has a real impact on their risk factors and on their health. So, um, and I have never prescribed, quite frankly, uh, one of these medications. But after talking to you, I'm thinking it may be appropriate for um, for all of the physicians in our menopause clinic to learn more about it and and to be prescribers. I would 100% agree and support you. The medications are not even though I, I made a point that every patient needs to be evaluated thoroughly for you know risks and side effects, benefits, and so forth, the actual uh, prescribing and monitoring of the medications is not challenging and it's not complex. 
You don't have to check blood tests. You don't have to do an EKG. You don't have to do you know specialty blood tests or anything like that. You just have to have, have a familiarity with the medications and know how to manage side effects. But that's no different than any other medication that we use as, as prescribers. Yeah. But I think what ends up happening with people who, I mean, you're a specialist, so you know every single medication and you're very familiar with every single medication. And for someone like me uh, or a general doctor, internist, whatever, it may make more sense just to become familiar with one or two of these medications and, and get good at that. You know, that's perhaps one approach. I don't know, but it's an interesting thought because I know a lot of women will say to me after they listen to this podcast, this sounds great, but my doctor won't write me a prescription. So, you know, what do I do? How do I find someone who will? And, and the majority of the women actually who listen to this podcast are are not from Chicago. They're from all over the country. So what advice would you give women who are trying to find a specialist to, to help them with this journey? Well, first of all, I would I would have I would ask them to have a conversation with their primary care provider. Uh, and for a lot of times, people do not bring up their weight to their primary care provider because of shame and embarrassment. They don't want to be it's chastised. It's just like sex. That's dismal. Six percent of people bring up sex even if they really want help. <laughs> so, so that's the first thing that I would encourage them to do is to have bring it up proactively with their healthcare provider. Say, I I, I need more help beyond what I've been doing. Um, can we please have a conversation about medications to help me? That's the first thing I would do. If the healthcare provider uh, is not supportive enough or uncomfortable prescribing medications, you can go to abom.org. It stands for the American Board of Obesity Medicine. You mentioned Lauren early on where I, I was one of the founders of it. abom.org. I will put and there the is a, with, the, with the link. Right. And there's a directory there of obesity specialists by zip code. So you can find a specialist in your zip code area by going to abum.org, go to the directory tab. And are there enough of them? Sometimes we look for a specialist and there's one every 2,000 miles or something. Uh, it depends on where you live. Uh, there's over 5,000 ABUM specialists in the country because that's how many have now been certified since we started about a decade ago. Uh, there's a, there's a, a dense concentration of them in certain areas of the country, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's where I would I would start. So, what other drugs did we not talk about? What other medicines that would you like to mention? Well, I'll, well I'll mention we don't have to talk about everyone in detail because that's that could be left to the your listeners with their healthcare provider. But other drugs to be aware of: fentanyl. We talked about. Uh, there are two others that have been around for quite a while. One is called Qsimia which is a combination of fentamine and topiramate, uh, which is used for migraine prophylaxis. Another one is called Contrave, which is a combination of bupropion, which is an antidepressant, combined with naltraxone, which is opiate blocker. Interesting, but these two medications help. I'm just saying and then, Opudrin also is for libido, not that I have like a one-track mind, but... <laughs> I'm just trying to find multi-purpose in these drugs. Right. Well, so that's a good point. When we when we think about using a medication, we think about what other medical problem can't should we be treating. So contrary would be an example where if I see a patient who's struggling with their weight, but also has either depression or smoking. Yeah. Bupropion is approved for both of those. Yeah, you just you added a third one. Yeah. Uh, so that would contrave maybe a good one. And then the last one I want to mention is Saxenda, which is a daily injectable drug, which is a hormonal treatment 
uh, preceded this maglutide Wagovi we talked about. So that's the continuum of medications to choose from. Um, and if, if you, Lauren, want to start prescribing medications, you want to become familiar with all medications, but you may you may have more comfort with one or two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I do. So we're going to have to have that conversation a little bit later. And while I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about surgical solutions, um, could you just spend a couple of minutes talking about who should consider getting uh, a consultation for surgery? So it's it starts with um, with obesity as a chronic relapsing medical problem. That's why we think about lifestyle. We think about drug treatment in the third arm of treatment for someone with severe obesity is called bariatric surgery. So bariatric surgery is the umbrella term for several procedures we do. Gastric bypass, gastric sleeve, people have probably heard of those. We think about bariatric surgery in the individual with severe obesity. So that'd be a body mass index of 40 or more. That'd be about 100 pounds or 75 pounds heavier than a health, healthy weight or someone with a BMI 35 with a medical problem like diabetes. So to get into the consideration, you have to have a certain level of obesity. Beyond that, the indications are similar to what we talked about, unable to control your body weight with lifestyle alone and or with with um, uh, with pharmacotherapy. Realistic expectations of what surgery will do and not do. It is, a, it is an invasive. It's done laparoscopically, however, which makes it a little bit more um, safer and more um, acceptable. Um, uh, work with the team. The evaluation go up to six months for it uh, with a health with a healthcare team and really lifelong management. You really want to stay involved with your healthcare providers long-term because even as effective as bariatric surgery is, it is the most effective treatment. It doesn't cure obesity, just like drugs don't cure obesity. They just are good treatments for it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else I should be asking you that we have not covered? Uh, I, I want to mention one other thing, and that is, that it's kind of almost the, the, the hidden, uh, the elephant in the room for some conversations. And that is the bias, I think, and stigma that goes on with uh, individuals who suffer with obesity. Um, they, they, patients who, who are dealing with their weight often don't get the care they need. And there's a lot of similarities, Lauren, I think, in your own field as well. It's not talked about. It's not brought up. There's shame involved in it. There's a secrecy involved in it. And yet we have so many treatments for that individual. So I, I just want to invite all your listeners to have that conversation with a qualified healthcare provider and tell them that you need more help, uh, you need more resources, and, and, and provide referrals if they can't provide uh, the help themselves. Yeah. I think part of the reason also why sometimes clinicians might not bring it up is because there's this current sense of, well, you're body shaming, you know, that you're not accepting someone in the body that they have and that all bodies are beautiful. And and that's something that I think a lot of clinicians struggle with because on one hand, of course, you don't want to, you know, you don't like someone any less because they're, they're overweight and you don't want to shame someone for something that isn't their fault, but you also want to address it because it does have health implications. So I think sometimes we're straddling that, which makes it a little bit difficult. I'd like you to spend the last. Absolutely right. Yeah, Um, I'd like you to spend the last few minutes talking about um, your website because I love your website. I send people there all the time. The Six Factors to Fit website, and I will put the link. Um, But talk about the the quiz that people can take, why it's there, and what they're going to learn from it. 
Absolutely. Thank you for bringing it up. The website is drrobertkushner.com, uh, Dr. SDR, robertkushner.com. Um, and when you go to the website, what you're able to do is to take uh, the um, 27 item quiz. Uh, in which, uh, which is a series of, uh, of items that you do a level of agreement to. And you could identify, the quiz helps you identify what factors most resonate with you. For example, are you a convenient diner? Are you someone who eats out a lot? Are you an easily enticed eater, someone who is enticed by food and the reward of food and have difficulty uh, controlling your intake? Are you an exercise struggler, someone who has difficulty and barriers to exercise more? And there's three others. So you can quickly identify where are your problem areas that you should be focusing in on to make a difference at the lifestyle level. And then there's a, a book that goes with it. You don't have to buy the book, but there is a book that goes with it with each chapter. Uh, they have to buy in. the book. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can take the quiz without buying the book is what I mean. I encourage you to do that. And there's also blogs available. Uh, there's newsletters uh, that are available and a lot of other information. So yeah, it, it's, me- it's being- meant to help people uh, take better care of themselves and get started. But what you're really being modest about, and I think what's really important is I think there are more diet books on the market than there are snowflakes. And everyone out there is a self-proclaimed expert. And they have all these recommendations that are quite frankly based on nothing. And your experience in the academic world and your research is truly awe-inspiring. So even if you look at this quiz that you just, you know, nonchalantly talk about. I mean, how many people have taken it and what is the kind of information you've gotten from it because there's been so many people and and just talk a little bit about the research behind it. You didn't just throw this out there, right? Correct. Yeah. I I worked with a psychometrician (laughs) to do this, uh, which we were able to, with something called factor analysis, where we're able to take this whole bunch of questions. And by doing a computer program called factor analysis, we identified six factors uh, that really get people uh, in trouble. Uh, And we just recently, Lauren, uh, looked at about 700 people, excuse me, we um, 2,000 individuals, uh, and we looked at their data once again and reinforced that these factors are directly associated with your degree of overweight. In other words, the heavier you are, the more factors you're likely to identify with. So it's a way of we call phenotyping or looking at individual, looking someone on an individual basis, customizing treatment uh, in order to help them take better care of themselves. And that's so important because so many of these diets, like the you know the eat nothing but grapefruit diet, which doesn't work anyway, um, it's it's this one size fits all thing. And and just like every other medical condition, we know that nothing is one size fits all because everyone's journey and story and risk factors are completely different. And that's why I always tell people you have to go see Dr. Kushner and you have to read his book and you have to go to his website because it works. At the end of the day, you need something that is going to work. And the same thing is not going to work for everybody. And you have managed to figure out what is going to work for individuals on a very large scale. And that's why I am so impressed by you and, and all of your work. And and I also, I really want to thank you for taking time because I think you are on the lecture circuit more than any, anybody I know. Every time I see you on social media, it's in another city giving another lecture to another large group of academicians, and you are sought after internationally and nationally. So so thank you, thank you. Thank you, Lauren. This was, this was a pleasure. I really appreciate you having me on your podcast. 
And I will have all this information in the program notes so that you can take the quiz and find the book. Thank you again. I'm Dr. Lauren Stryker, and thank you for joining me. You will find lots more information in my Inside Information books available on Amazon.com. And follow Francie as she navigates her way through vaginal dryness, hot flashes, and pretty much every menopausal symptom you can think of. Through the night, I fall.